When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each episode we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film, or occasionally a TV show. Today we are talking about The Last of Us, the HBO show created by Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann. I'm joined by part of the Beyond the Screenplay team, Brian Bittner. Baby girl. And Alex Calleros. Hi. And we're excited to be joined by Alex Wang, the visual effects supervisor on The Last of Us show, Alex Welcome to our show. Hi. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Okay. So I'm super excited to jump into this because I love, love the show, love the game. One of our, my favorite uh, episodes of Lessons from the Screenplay, our YouTube channel that we did was on The Last of Us and the art of video game storytelling. We got a chance to sit down with Neil Druckmann and learn all about the different techniques they used in the medium of video games to tell that story. And so when I heard that there was going to be a, uh, you know, a, a TV show adaptation of it. I was super excited and very curious to see what that, the translation of it was. And ultimately I was just completely blown away by it. I, it's a remarkable job that all of you guys did on it. So congratulations, first of all. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Warning to listeners, there are going to be spoilers. We're going to talk about all of this. So if you haven't seen the show for some reason, go do yourself a favor and watch and then come back. Um, Patrons that want to talk about this also for our next film club uh, that we're having for our highest tier patrons on uh, June 3rd. We're all going to get together and talk about our feelings of The Last of Us in general. But right now we're going to talk about visual effects and The Last of Us and its connection to storytelling. And so some listeners might be wondering, why are we talking about visual effects on this show? And first of all, we talk about lots of filmmaking things, not just screen, but it's beyond the screenplay. It's not limited to the screenplay. But also I was thinking about the visual effects and the role that they tell uh, play in storytelling and in creating meaning. And so in the show, there's a lot of really powerful choices that the characters are making under pressure. And we understand that pressure because of the context. And if we don't believe that these characters are going to die from an infected or that they're, you know, if we don't believe they're in this uh, post-apocalyptic world where their choices are so difficult, we don't feel the emotion of those choices. And that's something that lasts not just when the visual effects are on screen, but even when they're not on screen. And, and I think people would be surprised to hear how many visual effects are there when they think there aren't visual effects on screen. There's surely a lot. Um, so lots of things I want to dive into, but maybe Alex, you can just kind of uh, 
do a brief bio of introducing yourself to our listeners of sort of how you got into visual effects and how you got brought into the Last of Us project. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, where do I begin? So I, very early on, I knew I wanted to go into computer animation is, is really what I wanted to start with. Uh, ever since my, my dad bought me my Atari ST computer, I think, I don't know if you guys ever had an Atari, but I was, this is pre windows. And I, I knew I wanted to be, and I wanted, I knew I wanted my job to be involved with computers somehow. And I just love visual storytelling as well. I was really lucky at a very, very early age to know that for me to succeed in something, I needed to be passionate about it. I'm not one of those that somebody says, uh, you know, maybe I want to go be a doctor or maybe I want to go be a lawyer as much as my, my parents who wished I was, <laughs> um, I definitely felt like I, if I wasn't into it, I wasn't going to succeed in it. And I think I, did, I probably didn't really understand the word passion at that point in my life, but I knew that for me to be successful with something, I, I had to kind of be obsessed with it. Pretty much my senior year in high school, I just decided to, that I, I wanted to go to art school. Like I, I didn't, I wanted to go through the visual art side rather than the more technical side. I definitely am, I took a computer programming class and I said, this is not for me. <laughs> this is this is not what I want to do with computers. So uh, I, I kind of taught myself early on to just learn how to draw the art side of things to the point where I applied for Ringling College of Art and Design in, in Florida. And I got in and uh, got a bachelor's in fine arts and computer animation there four years. And then I kind of bummed off my sister for a little bit in Chicago. <laughs> I just like, had to find a job. It's nice and to have family to do that. That's, oh, yeah. That was a key part of my LA experience as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I would, I would not know what I'd be doing if I didn't have my sister. I mean, for many, for many reasons, but mm -hmm. that at that point in my life to just have a place to, <laughs> to a roof over my head while I was looking for a job was, was really special. Um, and I was, one thing led to another. I was lucky and fortunate to know great people. And, um, I got an interview with this boutique called the orphanage. Sadly, they don't exist anymore, but that was kind of my foot into the door. And I spent six years there. And I think that is the foundation of my career because there's never been, I worked in many different studios, but it, nothing as special as kind of, it's kind of like your first girlfriend, like <laughs> there's just that sort of feeling with, and I, I'd say most of the guys that are, I'm close to, uh, from the orphanage, including one of them was, was my boss, was at, was at my wedding as my best man. So that's just how close we all have kept in touch and we, we all are. And so shortly after that, I just. Uh, stayed in San Francisco in the Bay Area for, for a while and worked there. Um, and then I moved to Vancouver where I just worked at Digital, digital Domain um, and met a lot of great people. They're just really good people, good, hardworking, passionate people in this industry I've, I've found throughout my, my career path. So fast forward, I'm working at Industrial Light and Magic ILM. I've been there for probably five, almost six years. Um, and then the timing was right. I was just wrapping up on Jurassic World 
Dominion, the the third installment. And I probably had a month left. And uh, a friend of mine that I met on the show when we were shooting, he just out of the blue texted me one day with, uh, and said, hey, my brother's on the show, can't say what it is, but they're shooting Calvary. Uh, are you interested? It's, it's an HBO show, that's all I can say. And I said, well, I don't know, like, if you can't tell me what show it is, so I just, he said, just Google it. And I Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's basically HBO, The Last of Us is shooting. And I said, oh my God, this, I, I could not believe it. So of course I said, yeah, you know, I didn't even know if I was ready for it, but I knew I wanted it. I knew I was willing to take that risk. And I, I said, throw my name in the hat. I mean, they're probably not gonna, you know, it's not gonna go anywhere. So one thing led to another and um, I was offered to position. And it's basically, I'd say it's, it's my dream position because my dream job, to be honest. 10 years ago, probably 10 years ago, 2013, I think the game came out, right? Um, mm -hmm. I'd say playing a game as such a profound, I'm sure fans of the game, if you've played a game, um, it's just, it's just different. It's just not your average game. There's a lot of great games out there, but this one just touched me differently, uh, emotionally, like just not what games usually do. And, and I always said this, this needs to be made into like a film or a TV show of some sort in, in, a, in a different cinematic, um, medium that's different than, than a game. So for this to be 10 years later with, uh, HBO, which is one of my favorite, if not the favorite show network, Craig Mazin, who just did Chernobyl, uh, amazing guy, amazing writer. I think all the stars just aligned. I said, yeah, this sign me up. I'm all, I'm all in. Yeah. That's awesome. Real quick, before we jump into last of us, I just wanted to shout out, um, Alex, you were on a podcast called the CG garage podcast uh and i just want to direct listeners to that as sort of like an extended bio of alex's career but there's also a really cool lesson in there where you have a story about um applying to blizzard and not getting it you know but at the same time it's like everything that you were doing you were showing your peers how serious you were and and sort of getting mentorship from people and everything like that so i'll i'll leave that there and let people go listen to that podcast but i just wanted to say it's it's cool to hear uh it's cool to hear stories about things that people didn't get that they wanted at the time but then to see how that led to the to exactly what they wanted in the long run <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll leave a link in the show notes to that because that's, yeah, it's a really fascinating conversation. And to Brian's point, <laughs> I, I love hearing about people's crazy paths to where they ended up because no one ever walks a straight line. And I think it can be reassuring to people trying to break in that it's, you're not necessarily doing it wrong. It's just, it's a, it's a winding path sometimes. Right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I remember when the game came out and I think my first exposure to it was at friend's house uh, or yeah, somebody had a PS3 and just started like showing off the game. And I hadn't ever seen a game cross over with cinema the way this game had. And so it was a real revelation for me when in that opening of the game is so memorable when you're like playing as the daughter, you're in the back of the car, you, you have this mobility to like look out the different windows and yet your experience is so curated and so cinematic and so emotional and so impactful. Um, I, I was just 
it was it was a wake up call for me of like, wait a minute, I went to film school. I'm here in L.A. to make film. But like this, I would do this like like I <laughs> like if games can be this, then I'm down to make games and playing it myself and then getting to that ending. That ending was a really interesting example for me of where while so much of the game I was I was seeing it as like, oh, you, we don't need an adaptation of this to, to film because this is kind of like a movie that I'm playing. That ending was so interesting because that was the perfect example of how being a game made that ending more impactful, more meaningful, because it, it was almost in this meta way playing with me as a as a player. I've been getting some adrenaline and some, you know, joy from from all the violence I've enacted in this game. And now the game is throwing it back in my face. And part two kind of does that throughout the entire game uh, <laughs> where it's really, you know, playing with the form of video game where you expect to mow down infinite people and the game presents you with this kind of horrible choice that you have to enact throughout the end of the game. So a choice that isn't a choice for you. The yeah, exactly. It's not <laughs> right. a choice for you. It's a choice for the character of Joel. Right. Um, anyway, all that, to, all that is to say that game was huge for me as well as just a wake up call of the kinds of stories that I want to tell as a filmmaker can be told in games and they can do extra things that a passive, you know, medium like film can't do like that ending, you know? Um, uh -huh. so anyway, so all that made me think when I heard The Last of Us was being made into a TV show, my first thought was like, really, do we need that? Because the because the game is already such a cinematic experience. But then the show came out and my mom watched it. My aunt watched it. Like everybody in my family has watched the show and loved it. And none of them play video games. None of them will ever uh -huh. play video games. And that was where I realized, oh, we do need these adaptations of these amazing video game stories because a lot of people just don't play video games or can't play video games. And I'm so happy they have access to the story now. Yeah. I mean, and exactly that. And, and just so you know, like just even talking about the game, there's, there's scenes where Sarah dies and at the ending, I still get goosebumps. Mm -hmm. Just, just, just has that kind of a impact. Yeah on me, on, on certain people that really love that game. And I think that when the game came out, it was during a time where a lot of uh, like GTA, where you make choose your own adventure basically. And here comes a game that is kind of a little bit against the grain, uh, where it's a very sort of linear storyline that you have to go through here, but it makes you think. And I think that's when Craig was adapting this, um, he, basically said the most important thing is that this story is about the characters, right? And that trickled down to every department, including visual effects. Nobody supersedes um, the story of the characters of Joel and Ellie, um, Bill and Frank. Uh, we're all here to support that story, right? Because um, it's such a profound and, and impactful story. So that's sort of where we never really want to sort of overtake when we're creating the visuals. They do have to be breathtaking and they do have to, uh, the most important thing for me is for the audience to just be immersed in that world. And if, if you forget there's even visual effects, great. That's, that's what I want. I want you to really, because uh, I think the performances are, are amazing from all the actors um, on the show. And I think that's what the show's about. Yeah. Well, and so, okay. So yeah, so you're, 
you're now on The Last of Us. You have you're part of this team doing this Herculean task of translating this game that is beloved and all this stuff to a TV show medium. What does that look like? Like, what is what is your role kind of look like as you're going in pre-production and pr- production? Like, what does a visual effects supervisor do? If I were to follow you one day, what, what would I see? <laughs> <laughs> you would be like, oh my God, take, I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's a lot of hard work, but every department, everyone works really hard uh, to sort of make a make any show, but especially a show like The Last of Us, where the bar is set so high, there's such a big fan base. We shot for an entire year, entire year in Calgary. My job really starts in pre-production, right? Um, before before we even start filming anything. Um, Cause it's important to, visual effects is, is a really powerful tool for storytelling if done, if used right. If, if you don't use it right and it's, everything's kind of pushed um, when you're sort of just starting to film and cameras are turned on and you're, you're filming, chances are you're, you're gambling with a lot, of, a lot of money and people's time, right? Things might not go as smoothly as you want and Things might not be possible. Things might not be possible for it to look good in visual effects and post if it's, if it's not done right. So my job, it's important to really start pre-production um, with the showrunner, with the directors that are directing the episodes um, and just talk about, break it down, understanding where the visual effects needs are. My conversations are very much are with the art department because that's when they're building the sets. By the time we start shooting, all the sets are built. Everything's sort of pretty much done. If you, if you want a blue screen here and there, sure, you can do it. But the sets are built with visual effects in mind, if, if it needs visual effects. So really, my, I have meetings daily, especially once we start to really get into where they're like, okay, we're, we're gonna start building this. It's really understanding um, what the sets look like and ultimately what the creative vision of the showrunner is and where visual effects is used to expand uh, past the practical sets or the art departments what 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 they can do with that also just a lot of previs anything that is very much like the uh alex the scene that you talk about where they're in the car which is very much like the game we previs that um to a t because it was a very complex scene of uh, originally, I mean, there's, it's cut now, but originally it was, a, we wanted to use a one-er. It was the, the shot was very much like the game where we're following them. We're in the car with them through the whole time. And to do that choreography, I mean, you're, you're basically touching every single department, DP, uh, lighting stunts, special effects visual effects. So in order to do that and not for it to be completely a, a disaster or shooting is to make sure that everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone has a plan. Everyone agrees on that plan. And ultimately the vision of that scene is, um, is from the show, from Craig and Neil's mind, that is what they want. Obviously you don't want previous to be so, um, you don't want to just shoot the previous all the time. Like that's just, that's just more of a tool to make sure that everyone's on the same page. 
you also want to let things be flexible and things on a day, things are going to change when, when the, uh, when, uh, the cameraman's actually in the car, things are going to be feel different and you, she might want to do something slightly different. And that's all cool. But I think it's important that the HODs, the head of, the head of departments are all on the same page with that. So we previs in pre-production as well, uh, storyboards, um, and the, the, the amazing thing with visual effects that I, part of why I really love my job is I pretty much talk to every single department. I talk to special effects. I talk to the DP a lot because for me, talking to the director of photography is, um, I need to understand the shots, uh, their taste, what their, what their vision is for every shot, every scene that needs visual effects. Um, so that, um, we can help each other and ultimately where we're, our goal is end goal is to make the most amazing shots, right? So, uh, if it involves visual effects, it's, it's very collaborative and then costume prosthetics for sure, uh, is props. Um, I'll talk to greens, you know, every, every department is, I, I have to talk to them and just make sure that. I'm not a person that likes surprises. I don't like surprise birthdays. <laughs> I don't like surprise anything, really. So definitely on a day when we shoot, I don't like surprises. I like to know, okay, if I'm not going to get that, that's fine. I know ahead, we have a plan for it, and and so and so forth. Is this a bad time to tell you that uh, your first professor from college is a guest and is coming on the podcast right now? Behind door yeah. number two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> I really... Yeah. curious about so much but uh yeah mentioning that in that you know the the opening where you're in the truck and you're you're with sarah and how that was intended at one point to be a a oneer was that can you talk about was it shot to be a oneer like was that decision made in pre-production or in post because i think that's that's a interesting language difference between games and and film or games in some ways are kind of long takes and lend themselves to that cinema can edit and compress space and time. And so I think it's just a really interesting kind of data point to, to look at. Yeah. I mean, we, we shot it, uh, in pre-production, everyone was on board to make it a winner. Uh, so we choreographed everything, um, from the stunt, the drive, the timing of everything needed to be exactly spot on for that one or to work. I think the, where it changed to not be a one or was when we were in post and we were editing. I mean, we have Tim Good, Emily, um, just to name a few of our amazing editors on the show. They, they basically are not precious about anything. <laughs> their, their job is to make the most amazing and, and interesting, uh, and captivating, um, show right so and and the, i will say that the amazing thing about craig is he writes he he wrote um with almost everything and especially with neil as well and the amazing thing with craig is he's not precious about anything either if something isn't working even though he spent a lot of time and effort into creating that if something's not working he's not precious about it it's he understands the big the, the biggest goal is making the, the most amazing show. I think the one are just sort of in the context of this, that scene and everything. Uh, I mean, it's not like we cut and drastically short, we just cut a section 
off that we felt like was just, we're just kind of trimming the fat off mm -hmm. and we, we, you barely noticed that it, there's a cut anyways, but, uh, which means we probably didn't need that section. We, we were missing it. So it was, it was more about that. Interesting. Yeah. As an editor, I really appreciate that because I've actually gotten irritated in recent years where I mean, a lot of people, everybody wants to do the children of men winner, you know, like mm. you want to, you want to do those amazing winners. And then you see movies where they've committed to a long take and there, there are sections of the long take that just don't have much going on. And you realize that like, there's a, there was a decision made to do this thing. It, we don't actually need to be looking at this take this entire time, but you're, but you're locked in, you're committed to it. And so, you, so we have as an audience, we have to like, realize we're in a winner, like kind of accept that that's what's happening and like applaud the filmmaker for going for it. But I'm kind of bored right now. And so I really <laughs> appreciate the bravery and just saying, you know what, we, we, we wanted to have our winner, but no, the audience experience matters more and you make the cut. And I think that's the right choice. Yeah. It, and I think sometimes when you shoot a winner, um, you, with that commitment, you also don't end up with a lot of camera coverage, right? right? Cause you're like, well, I'm, I'm doing this. Right. So I think that's just one of the other things is, I mean, children of men, they probably just, they, they, they had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they didn't have a choice yeah. at that point. Yeah. And luckily they were really good winners. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, th I think it was a, um, a Q and a that we did, uh, where I talked about daredevil. I just talked about winners and how I'm such a sucker for like a, a good winner, but, and the show daredevil has some, some great ones. Uh, but it has one that's like just a little over ambitious. And it's like you see Charlie Cox get like punched behind a desk and then like Daredevil crawls out and then does the most amazing stunts you've ever seen and then falls behind a bed. And then Charlie Cox crawls back out and it's like, OK, <laughs> now I'm just thinking about like what's going on behind the scenes. I'm I'm no longer immersed in the action, which is the opposite of what you want a good one. Or yeah, do. that's that's not the point of the one. Right. I think a film like 1917, you know, I I kind of forgot it was a winner. Mm -hmm. I think maybe that's what it's supposed to do. Um, it's just that you're just immersed in when it's, if it's done well, you forget it, that you're ac actually in a winner. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. On, on that note, you know, it was something you mentioned, Alex was talking about, you know, story comes first, characters comes first, character comes first, but then also, you know, you're the VFX person, right? And so it's like, if you, when you're in previs, are there, is there sort of like a conversation about a spectrum of on this end, the audience needs to be just focused on the characters. It doesn't matter if there's 10,000, you know, CG things going on behind, there's a building falling over, whatever, like they need to not notice. It has to be there. So you got to do all the work to put it there, but they have to not notice it uh, versus the other end of the spectrum, which is just like, look at this, like where, where it's sort of the, the whole point of this scene is to just show off the world and kind of show off what's going on versus every spot in the middle, right? Where it's sort of like how, like, what is the conversation like, especially in previs about sort of finding that balance? I think, um, there's previs and then there's concept art as well. Mm -hmm. We, I used uh, concept art is another tool, a very powerful tool that I use to um, get an idea of what the showrunner, what Craig and Neil are, are after. I think the, the great thing about them is they pick and choose their moments where they really want it to be a spectacle or, uh, um, to show scope. If you notice a show, we don't really have, I think we have one or two, uh, drone shots. 
um, we're always with the characters, right? I think the camera, Ksenia, um, the DP on some of these episodes, they basically use 50 or 25 mil. So we're always very close with the, the actors. Um, so I think with that in mind, where we can pick and choose where we want to showcase the scope and where we want to put our time and effort, I think that's really ultimately what's most important because for visual effects on any show, no matter what show it is, there's always a finite amount of time and, and money. But for me, the, it's time, right? So, um, and just communicating that to the showrunners, like, okay, so uh, when they're just walking, if we just show like the world isn't pristine and just some overgrowth and this, uh, and maybe there's some, a little bit of damage in the, in the, in the buildings and destruction, just so it's not distracting and that, why is that building so new back there? But we're not creating this whole new thing back there. Um, so it's just, it's kind of a give and take mm -hmm. that conversation. Um, just a lot of quick concepts to, to show because the thing is without a concept, or I should say once a concept is bought off and I say, I talk to my vendors and say, this is what Craig wants. There's any, anything from 10 to a hundred very talented artists that will start working on it and will start to craft that shot for you, um, to exactly what you want. So for me, um, I don't like to waste anyone's time. So I always want to, and Craig doesn't either. And he's been actually really great. Uh, and then just knowing what he wants, um, through concept ex exploration. So that's sort of the, the probably one of the most powerful tools that I've, I use on this show, particularly for like episode two, um, where we see Boston, where there is so much, where we are creating the world. I think it was really important to, um, in order to, we can get really detailed and crazy and cool with the concept and return that buy me time because that's just one frame and the process of building that world from the concept. But if we just kind of went blindly into, uh, that shot without, and then just, we're trying stuff in sort of like, just call the visual effects pipeline. Uh, it'd be costly and I think it'll be damaging to the final product of that shot as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to say in that episode, when they first walk out and you see, you know, the, the iconic, you know, leaned over buildings and mm -hmm. just really big sweeping shots of Boston, that's kind of a pivotal moment for the show, because if those visual effects, if we don't buy those visual effects, if we don't buy, this is the world if it feels kind of cheap or fake then that really immediately kind of sucks a lot of the gravity out of the situation where it's like, oh, I feel kind of safe because these actors are on a green screen or we're in kind of a Marvel movie or something. Um, and I think it's it's so great that the show never felt that way to me. I never felt like I was in kind of a safe, this is a fake, you know, movie land. It, it always felt like the visual effects cr like crossed that threshold of immersion. And, and I, I could feel in that episode how much work you guys were doing to just like establish the world and sell us on the world so that when we're not looking at those big shots, it's in our, you know, we understand where we are. We're in a true apocalyptic situation. And like Michael was saying earlier, 
now the stakes are so high. Every time somebody makes a choice, we understand how dire it is because we buy into the world. So yeah, can you talk about just the pressure of that episode of episode two and, <laughs> and uh, nailing those shots? Because I imagine I mean, that that does feel like a make or break moment for the show. Those are such ambitious shots and they're, they're walking handheld kind of on an overpass. Uh, it's, it's a lot of handheld photography, which is hard to to do these big aesthetic extensions with. Well, it's yeah. interesting. I was going to add that, uh, like the se- that sequence is also interesting because the characters are sort of in the same place, headspaces like the audience, where like Ellie's walking out and seeing everything in right. the city in the daylight for the first time, and so it's an interesting like moment where the visual effects are having to do a lot of the storytelling because it's what the characters are experiencing for the audience too. So yeah, talking through the sequence would be great. Uh, yeah, so for that shot it's funny because talking about uh pre-production the one thing i I didn't discuss was or mention is scouting um besides the previs and sitting down with directors um and talking to our department one of the important things that we do in in pre-production uh with all hod's um is scout the locations and for episode two, because I knew it was going to be such a big visual effects episode, creating this world. And, and it was amazing because Neil Druckmann also directed that, that episode. So scouting with him, first of all, was I had to, I was like, that, there's Neil right there. <laughs> um, That's how I felt but, when we did the interview. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a real and, uh, here. Neil. <laughs> but he's, as you guys know, like he's the most, he's the nicest guy. He's the most laid back. So I really, when we're scouting... I, I, it was important for me to communicate with him what he liked about this location. If he was literally going to say, I like nothing about this location, and I just, I'm here because we're on this road and you're going to change everything, then I would say, well, then maybe we should change, go to a different location. Because yes, I end up changing everything. But the importance of that shot when she they open that door and we kind of see that is... One of the reasons why I didn't just stick a big blue screen in front of, of them, it defeats the purpose if, we're, if, we, if we find a location and then we stick a big blue screen in front of that location. And I, I, really, I really wanted to embrace that space, that environment um, in, in Edmonton that, that we were. And for a couple of reasons. One, I think for the DP, for Ksenia, so if it's a blue screen, even as much concept art as I did, it would be hard for the camera person to frame knowing what wasn't going to be in front, right? So sometimes that's half the battle when we just have a blue screen in front of us is we're now we're, we're almost working backwards. Now we're like, okay, we're bought in on this camera move on this blue screen. Now we have to make a world that is sort of in the space. Whereas what I wanted was more imagine... This was this is the space. How would you feel? How would you frame it? Where would it, and the actors? Where would they stand? And so they, the actors, um, I think, also helped their performers because they were immersed in this world. And art department did an amazing job just dressing what they could with the foreground. So I think that was the biggest um, thing for me with that section where they come on the hair salon and you see the leaning tower and. We, we went through a couple of concepts. That was actually a very uh, tr- challenging shot because 
we went through a bunch of concepts and we sort of softly, when we're still shooting, we softly said, yep, this is, this is pretty much what we want. Um, but then Craig, when we're starting to cut the episode together, he, she said, he said, this is the first time Ellie will ever see anything outside of the QZ. She's a QZ baby. This is like this world. We need to be, we need to feel how much in awe she is as she walks out of, out of there. And then she, he looked at the original concept and said, I just don't think this is going to get us there. And once he said that out and I said, you know what? I totally, I'm, I totally agree with you. That's a, that's a really, really good call that, that he made with that. So we basically through blood, sweat and, sweat and tears, that was a difficult cause we built that whole scene. Uh, it wasn't just a map painting, um, of, so we, we went through the, the one thing that I always want with this environment for it to feel for any environment and especially in Boston, just cause there's so much destruction for it to feel real to a certain degree is that, uh, everything needs to be done with intention. If this collapsed, if this building collapsed, uh, why, why did it collapse? Was there a bomb? Okay. Was there, there's a crater. If there's a bomb, there should be a crater right here. Uh, the overgrowth rather than just have random overgrowth. Cause I, I do believe subconsciously when it comes to the world of post-apocalyptic, uh, just the nature of it, it's very easy conceptually to take, turn it to 11, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, that mm -hmm. threshold you can turn up to 11 and, um, it can very quickly still look cool, but it's just depends on the show, right? It can still look cool, but you will now, the audience will feel differently about it. Now mm -hmm. they are like, okay, I'm, I'm bought into this fantasy world. And we never really wanted to, we wanted to kind of teeter that edge of, yeah, of course that building leaning next to that building probably would have crashed into it and the whole thing would have toppled over. But what if it didn't, how would that look? Right. So we went through a lot of different simulations of how this would in, in, uh, in, our, in our nerdy programs of how this would actually behave. And, and really what I wanted to get out of that was just a sense of weight, this building, because sometimes it's really hard to create. Again, I think the audiences, especially audiences on the game and the watching the show, if they're smart enough to understand what is good visual effects and what is not, and not to this sense of like, oh, those, those edges on my comp, they look bad, but like something feels a little off or something just doesn't, and I'm not bought into this world. So I think for me, um, less is more. I think that was another sort of, uh, mantra that we had throughout the show from the way things were shot to, um, the way visual effects were handled is. We don't need to have so much noise everywhere and spend our attention everywhere. Whereas we, if we just focus our attention on certain key points and make that as believable as possible and as good as it can look, I think that's ultimately what will uh, be successful for our show. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot of really great stuff there. I was just thinking earlier as you were talking about like, you know, if you show us that let's say there's a bunch of infected trying to get into a into a building or something like that and you show us this like really convincing 10 second shot of that and then the rest of the entire episode is like two characters in the building 
just talking or whatever. It's like, well, you've already done the work to convince us of that, you know? And, and yeah. I think like, that's really cool. Um, and then also the less is more thing of, you know, I'm sure in any, in any department, it's fun to go, what if we did this? What if we did that? You know? And like, I'm, I'm not, a, I watched all of the walking dead and it was, it got to the point where they were just like, what if there were zombies in riot gear? So you couldn't shoot them in the head anymore. And just like, it was just like, man, like it, it started to feel like every week they were just trying to be like, what do we have? What else can we do? You know? And, and last of us is a, is a show for sure. A show of restraint, you know, where it's just like, look, we just, we want you to know the world is there. We want you to know the infected are there. We want you to know the apocalypse is there, but that that's not what this story is. So we don't need to be reminding you of that every 10 seconds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking about, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of sci-fi shows that come out that I don't really hook into. Um, and I think sometimes it's because of an inconsistency in the world building or, or even the visuals, you know, where it's, I, I don't quite buy that this is a self-consistent world and so because I don't buy the world itself, I just don't really buy the story. And I just care less about the fantastical sci-fi things that are happening because I just don't believe this is a real place. And I think what was so great about seeing this show was just, yeah, how kind of understated and grounded the world building was so that I it, it just felt like a drama. It didn't feel like a sci-fi show. It didn't feel like a fantasy show, even a dystopian sci-fi. It, it felt just like a straight up drama in a really bad situation. And I think it's a right. testament to yeah. I mean, there. There's so many visual effects happening throughout the show, but it didn't feel like a visual effects show, um, yeah. which I think was really important for the type of story that, that you guys were telling. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I think the biggest compliment for this show um, is if somebody asks what, visual effects were there for this episode mm -hmm. episode two is a tough one just because you know leaning building. Yeah, yeah. there's just so much going on <laughs> and clickers yeah. um yeah clickers but yeah, there was a lot of visual effects in bill and frank's episode mm -hmm. with um with bill's town more more traditional visual effects of set extensions and and whatnot but nobody really talks about that episode for visual effects just because it was just sort of for bill's town pre pretty much uh seamless in my, in, my, in my mind. Yeah, I didn't think about it at all. Yeah. 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 For that episode especially, it was really important that visual effects, we just bow, we just bowed out yeah. and just did our job and then just, you know, shut the door and just left because that uh, beyond any episode, I watched that uh, when it's Raw's form after it was shot, like a rough cut of it. And... I was in a room with my producer and my production team, and we were all just trying not to cry, mm -hmm. right? And I and I said, I I want it, I want this episode to be done well, from a visual effects standpoint, and to the point where there's no distractions. We're we are talking about and feeling Bill and Frank's performance. Yeah, no, that yeah. episode is guaranteed crying like yeah. such a yeah guaranteed it's so good yeah. and I, I feel like that that episode was a turning point for me with the show also because i was really enjoying the show but like knew the story and sort of recognizing some of the the familiar beats from the video game and i feel like that was the the first episode that was like no here's something completely 
different. Like, you know, this this story is kind of technically in the game, but you're seeing it and experiencing it in a totally different way. And it's so effective. And yeah, it just completely blew me away. And so, again, I love hearing that visual effects were part of that because it's such a great example of like that is a critical part of giving meaning to everything that happens within yeah. that episode. Yeah. Yeah. And it also gave us a great breather. And because we, <laughs> <You're right. laughs> we just delivered episode two, which is just <laughs> visual effects Huge. everywhere. And uh-huh. then, you know, uh, and then we have going to three, which is a little bit more straightforward. Um, so beyond everything, it gave us a low, uh, some, some good breathing room as well. I also want to quickly mention that episode, you know, nothing to do with with visual effects or anything, but just I remember I was like was next to my friend who I was watching it with. And when I realized like Bill and Frank are not going to be around by the time Joel and Ellie get there, I reached over and I grabbed his arm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe like the main characters and the main character in this episode are just not even going to see each other, you know, Um and I was so blown away by that change and how effective that was. But then, of course, a lot of the criticism of that was, well, then what does this episode have to do with the show? You know, but it's bookended with these Joel, Joel and Ellie scenes where, of course, Joel doesn't know if he's committing to to this girl and, and actually doing anything with it. But then because of the note that Bill leaves at the end, you know, now Joel is Joel is changed at the end of the episode because of Bill and Frank's relationship and they never even meet. And like, I just thought that was the coolest thing. And I just, I don't have anywhere to talk about that. So I just needed to say that <laughs> yeah, no, and, yeah, and say like that, like such a, such a tribute to the writing that it wasn't just, here's a one-off episode. It was, here's a one-off episode that still directly affects the main plot. It also helps answer my question of why do you adapt this game to a different medium? Mm-hmm. You can tell stories like this you couldn't tell in the game. You, you, you can't in a game go do an hour long story about a beautiful love story <laughs> about two men that aren't going to be in any other part of the game. Like you're, you're kind of stuck in the perspective of the player character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's also when I realized, oh, wow, this show is able to do new things that are so <laughs> exciting. And, and I can't wait to see what future seasons do that are going to be new and exciting. I'm just, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it really opened my eyes to like, okay, these guys are doing it right. They're not, they're not like a slave to the origin source material. Like, like I think, I think uh, Craig and Neil were so smart about like, let's take advantage of the medium we're working in and make the best show possible. Not just the most like game accurate yeah. representation. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree. I think episode three changed the game. Even I think, cause the fun part with the show coming out was, I mean, fun and not fun, but we were still working on a show trying to deliver future episodes when, <laughs> so insane. The first, when the first episode <laughs> premiered. So, but the fun part, and it was kind of motivational, you know, everyone, I mean, I, obviously I cared, I had to care 120% from day one till the end, but I think, uh, the, the most amazing thing and difficult thing with, uh, this process was we were trying to deliver the show, uh, while it was premiering, but what it was really amazing was it helped, uh, actually motivate us to 
because everybody was, the audience was caring so much about it. Twitter was blowing up. Every Sunday night, we're just looking at the Twitter feeds. And honestly, for me, what was most enjoyable was the the art that was it just this form of art that we were doing with the TV show really inspired artists to just create more art about the show. Um, so when episode three came about, I think that changed the game. People, people were basically like in tears on Twitter saying, what did I just watch? Like I was expecting a movie about zombies and I just, <laughs> like, I'm in tears. Like I don't understand. So yeah. 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 That was, that's what, that's when I found out which of my friends were watching it and hadn't told me yet. It's just like, suddenly everyone was reaching out or posting somewhere about like, Oh my God, like this thing just happened to me. This show is strawberry so emojis everywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait, yeah. When, when a, when a film or TV show can, can use that Max Richter music, like on the nature of daylight and like, <laughs> and it fits and it's like earned, then, you know, it's, it's good. Like Arrival yeah. did it too. It's like, all right, you, yeah. you, you, you guys both earned that music. Totally. Yeah. yeah, that's perfect for it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. When that song plays, uh, I think my sister said she was getting a massage and that <laughs> song, <laughs> song came uh, on. That song came on and she was like emotional because of that scene. Yeah, no, massage. So, so <laughs> yeah, both yeah. because of episode three and because of Arrival, that yeah. song is just yeah. like, I'm going to cry whenever I hear it because it's <laughs> exactly. associated with very sad, yeah. beautiful things. <laughs> The episode three is a great example of in the background, don't even realize there's visual effects. And then there's episode five, the finale of episode five, that cul-de-sac battle, which I loved. I That was just a moment that was just kind of pure, like sick glee for me as a viewer of just like, <laughs> oh yeah, like after all this restraint, we're, we're going for it with this scene. Um, but I thought the scene was so well done too, because it was so well constructed. It, it wasn't just random chaos you know the, the easy, very easily those scenes can just feel like a bunch of shaky cam documentary style i can't actually see what's happening or what the stakes are or what the characters are doing i'm just it's all kind of a blur this scene was not that this scene i very much understood the the geography of the space mm -hmm. i understood where the characters were what they were doing what the obstacle was in front of them so i guess yeah can you talk about the planning of that scene because it was so well executed in that sense where i the story was being told and yet I also felt the complete mad chaos of the, of the <laughs> event. Yeah. Uh, so the cul-de-sac was one of those scenes where even back, I'd say seven months prior, we, we always get like an outline um, when we're in early prep of what each episode's going to kind of be about. And we, my producer and I, we, we just always circled <laughs> episode five, cul-de-sac. <laughs> Yeah, because we just knew it was going to be big. We knew it was going to be big for for everyone, not just visual effects, but especially for visual effects, uh, we needed to prep for it. And it's a tricky episode schedule-wise just because it's spot right in the middle. Uh, so you kind of, yeah, for episodics, that, that can be a little tricky with, with schedule. But um, so when it came to prepping for that scene, we... Obviously, we previst it to death. Um, we we got frame store did the previs on this, um, and we started with storyboards, and then we previsted it. The intention was always that for many 
things that on, on the show, and I think this is why it's so, so successful, is it's easy when you look at that scene to be saying, okay, well, let's just have a bunch of people in gray suits, green suits running around, and visual effects will just either keep it or remove it, um, and that's our scene. We went through the scene with the intention of what can we get in camera, right? Visual effects, I mean, there's there's no way around using visual effects in a scene like this, but I think with the mindset of what can we successfully get in camera, build, um, only helped us out in post. From, from working with Bear Gower, the prosthetics team, I mean, the Gowers, I think they are the best in the world. They've done, I think they're on every big show that involves any prosthetics. Um, they built the bloater suit. Um, they built the clickers. They, they built, I think we had 70, which is an insane amount or for, for prosthetics and costumes for every department to commit to doing something to uh, these performers. That's a high number. That's kind of unheard of for uh, for a scene like this, which is uh, you know a kind of chaotic battle. You're talking about like seven seventy people wearing infected infected yeah. prosthetics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, prosthetics. That's, that's yeah. a lot. That's more than I thought. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah. Oh yeah, that's a lot. I mean, th- we had different tiers. There's the <clears throat> excuse me. There's the hero, um, where they spent hours on the prosthetics. Some of the more background. Um, stunt performers could just wear masks and if it looks too kind of mask-like that's where we can augment in post to make it feel more natural um but we choreographed as much as we could and i think the important thing with that scene was understanding where the visual effects was going to be what i mean by that is not just shooting it and hoping for the best and then saying, well, can you work with that, Alex? Um, so when the infected all poured out, um, we knew that we, Craig wanted, Craig and Neil wanted, I don't know, 200 or something like that. You know, that, that last shot where they're all kind of pouring out, which is, it became a full CG shot. That's a high number, which we obviously couldn't capture with our 70. Our 70, especially on a wide shot, is going to feel very small, very fast. So we all knew that was coming. So what that meant was just choreographing like, okay, on the day when we're shooting, it would be, I would say, okay, so when we say action, give me, give me six seconds. So in my brain, I'm playing like them coming, CG infected pouring out first. In fact, there's probably a a way to this this whole scene and they did an incredible job. Um, There's a breakdown of what they did. So I would say, give me six seconds and then say action and then have the, the practical infected crawl out. Um, so that's kind of how we worked on everything. So cause I, I hate everyone putting all their efforts into something. And then me going to the showrunner or director and saying, yeah, I don't think I'm going to use that at all. Um, I'm going to replace it. I just think that's a waste of everyone's time. So I wanted to think about it in a way where I could utilize what everyone's hard work was, right? Um, and so those those six seconds was that to kind of like create a like a 
plate just in case or like what were the what was those six six seconds like buying you in that case so six seconds of i mean it's, it was probably more like 10 seconds right because it's easier to cut that shot shorter so it's six seconds at the head of the shot for my cg infected to crawl out first and then to add to uh the numbers we had the plate infected behind <coughs> um does that make sense i think so yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, is, is there, and now I'm kind of curious, is there kind of a logic to like a shot like that beginning with the CGI infected and before we see the practical infected? Is there something, is there something that you're thinking there where it's like, it's actually speed, speed, interesting, because mm -hmm. you know, they're going to get yeah. super, super fast, inhumanly yeah. fast. Yeah. And then yeah. we're filling in the background with the normal speed. Yeah. Actors. Speed, safety, everything. Um, Humans can only like they they're stump uh, performers and they're great, but they could only go as fast as they humanly can. And not that we made a uh, inhuman in their speed, but we we were able to kind of give them just give them like a little five to ten percent boost, which it still feels like somebody could do. Um, it just felt more intense, and we had people stepping on each other, which they couldn't do either. Um, so that's the reason why we started, that's just an example of where we kind of worked, collaborated with stunts, special effects, and the, and the DP to kind of make sure that we, everyone kind of understood where the visual effects infected, the CG infected was gonna be. And I think it's important that throughout that scene, we are constantly going between shots that include lots of CGI infected and then these like, intimate moments like in the car with the little creepy girl oh, doing somersaults <laughs> over the seats or the infected that are attacking Henry and Sam as they're wedged under that car. I think the scene really seamlessly goes between these kind of CGI heavy shots and then these more practical shots with the stunt performers. And that really helps. Yeah, when I see a movie where just nothing is practical, everything is CGI, including things in intimate you know, spaces, that's where the reality starts to break down. And I think it's just so smart to have that blend that you guys have throughout the whole show. Well, I think yeah. the opposite is also true, which is if all you're seeing is a dude in a suit, you know, then right. your brain just goes, it's just a dude in a suit, right? But then <laughs> right, when right. you do those little tricks, like you were just saying, Alex, of like, oh, we can give them that five to 10% boost. So then when you see the practical actors, your brain is already going like, oh my gosh, this isn't real. Like these are crazy alien creatures. Right, totally. both have their yeah. strengths, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're basically trying to, you're like a magician trying to pull a fast one on like, hey, look at this, this, but you know, it's sort of like this illusion Mm -hmm. is really what I'm trying to say, um, just of creating this sense of like reality. Because for me, there's nothing better than something more practical and our show is so grounded. Um, that's, that's sort of the basis um, of The Last of Us. And I, I feel like just having something grounded, even if I have to augment or change it slightly, is just so much more important, which brings up the bloater. Everyone had the intention of shooting the bloater in camera. I mean, the prosthetics to that the Gowers built was incredible. The amount of detail, it was so intricate. Um, and we came really close. I, I feel like we came super close, but at the end of the day, what 
sort of led us to make the character CG was that it was it was just tough. There's there are certain times where you didn't believe that it was a creature that was this size. It felt like a guy in a suit because it was a guy in a suit, right? And there's nothing you could do better practically because the guy was wearing the suit. Um, so with this CG, the digital character, we wanted, um, we didn't want to do it for the sake of doing it. We wanted the audience to believe in that character. Like this used to be a human that just over the span of a decade has transformed into this creature. Then that was the most important thing for, for Craig and Neil. So, um, I, I think that's a really good example of of the bloater. A lot of times I noticed that when films, I think we talked about it with like the Dark Knight and some of for Nolan movies where there's a practical version of the Batmobile or something on set that often helps the visual effects artists to my understanding, like replicate it in, you know, digitally with CGI because you have something that, that's been on set, it's been lit with the lights on set. So you have a thing to look at. It's not just kind of just being placed out of nowhere into that environment. Did you find that was helpful with the bloater suit? Absolutely. Yeah. That was what I was trying to say. Thank you. Yeah. That's what I was trying to say is um, having something practical there, even though we were fully replaced it at the end of the day, it just, that reference is, is invaluable, is gold to us. Because when we got into posts and shots, and like I said, like I mentioned at the very start, really we have a finite amount of time. Um, and when you have so much, so much work, um, and you th you're just trying to buy yourself time, buy time back and you're in the process of delivering shots, having something practical, like the bloater suit as a reference means it's gonna buy us more time because we don't, we're not trying to figure out oh, what does the bloater suit look like in this environment? Because we already know what it looks like. We're just making it look bigger and, and slightly different shape, um, but we know exactly how it should look in this space. So much that goes into this, but it, it, yeah, it's <laughs> always really fascinating to hear just this whole process. And, and it sounds like there was a lot of really good collaboration that happened and even some kind of unintended you know work was put into creating the suit that was useful but maybe not the way that it was intended just hearing hearing all of this makes me respect so much the work that you guys put into this and just how much movies and shows are miracles and like there's <laughs> so many things that could go yeah. terribly wrong or, or you couldn't plan for even though you, you know you don't even when you don't like surprises there are these things that come up and how you deal with them uh is so important and it ends up looking great on the screen in this case. Well, you, you can feel the love, you know, when, when you, you can feel when there's passion and love behind a project, because when there's not, you do do the thing where it's like, we're just going to shoot some stuff and figure it out and post. And, you know, and that's when you feel the shot composition is all over the place. And the editing is just kind of random and chaotic. And I, I did not feel that way in the show, which was such a, which was so great. I was so happy to, to see the show having so much love and care put into every frame. Um, cause yeah, we're all fans of the game. So it was just, it was yeah, and, such and a nice I would surprise. Say, I would mm. say that love trickles down to all the thousands of artists that worked on this show to help deliver the 3000 shots that we had on the show. 
I think every artist, fans of the game or not, um, or became fans of the show. Um, I think a lot of people in our industry, just because there's just always kind of this uh, crossover with video games and um, and visual effects and film, and with uh, with the game The Last of Us being so cinematic, it obviously crossed over it even more so. So I think um, there was just a lot of artists that were just fans of the game and had that passion that you're talking about, Alex, that took it personally, that they, they wanted this to look uh, really, really good. And there are times where um, I, it, it wasn't, it was a collaborative vision um, rather than just my vision um, of the show, right? Like I could tell this is really uh, a driving force from an artist on a particular shot. And I just wanted them to feel like they had ownership on what they were doing. That's awesome. Yeah. And like, like Alex said, you can, you can feel that and it's such yeah. a gift to the audience. Well, so why don't we go around and, and say what lessons we're going to take away from the last of us TV show. And I'm sure our lessons will be, you know, we didn't work directly on it. So we'll, we'll have yeah. different takeaways. Um, but we'll go around and then Alex, maybe you can cap us off. Um, but so to start, Brian, do you want to talk about what lesson you're going to take away? Yeah. I mean, so much of everything we're talking about is, um, is, is related to my lesson, which is just how impactful it is to be immersed in something as the audience, you know, but then how that comes from every step of the process committing to that, you know, so just as we're, as we're talking about everywhere from script into production, into, into post-production. And I was just thinking about, you know, going back to screenwriting for a second, like if you're writing a script, you need every plot point and every line of dialogue and every character choice and every action. It has to feel like it's coming from the same place. So if suddenly some kooky thing happens or some character says this thing, it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm taken out of the world now. I'm no longer immersed. Right. And that's just ink on paper, you know, like that's just, even just at that step, it's kind of already important to, to be as, um, make sure everything feels as organic and, and as, and as cohesive as possible. But then you go into, into pre-production and production. And it's like, now the director and the actors have to make sure every performance feels like it's coming from the same place, right? Like how many times have you seen a movie where you go like that actor feels like he was, they were in a different movie. <laughs> like why, how did that happen? Like how did the director let that happen? How did the actor let that happen? Um, and then of course, uh, costume design, hair and makeup, sound design. Like I, I love nerding out over like costume designers being like, oh, we made sure that like the underwear was correct. Or we like, we did this, <laughs> or we, you know, whatever random thing it is that they're super excited about, but that they feel makes the whole production feel more of a piece, feel more authentic, feel more organic. Um, and then of course, at the center of that, we have the visual presentation of the thing from production design to lighting to VFX to special effects to in-camera VFX to post-production VFX, right? And it's like if any of that betrays the reality of the story, then 
all of the work that came before it can just completely get lost if just the lighting is awful or like this thing, you know, if you see those green screen outlines that you see in 80s movies or whatever, right? <laughs> um, it, it, you know, we all watch the finale of Raiders of the Lost Ark these days going, but like, yeah, but the movie's really good. So like, it's okay. <laughs> like this looks like Ghostbusters right now. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I just, it, like, it takes so much work, but it also occurs to me just literally every step of the way so basically kudos you know alex to you and the team for pulling that off but also for anyone out there working on any department of of movie whether you're a screenwriter whether you know you're on the crew whether you're an editor or whatever it's just like it's all part of the same thing you know alex you were talking about the heads of department all having those conversations together right and making sure we're all on the same page and it's just like if everyone just really goes that extra mile to make sure everything feels as organic as possible and no one is trying to stand out, no one's trying to go look at my crazy, you know, makeup I did, or like, look at this, I'm, I'm an extra who's going to like, make sure I've got my face in the frame or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's like, if everyone is committed to that same vision, then you get last of us, you get Lord of the Rings, right? You get like these things that just feel like I'm not seeing the edges. I'm just seeing the world itself. And I just think that's really cool. Yeah. It's super special. And that's, yeah, gets it so much of what I love about film and cinema language and TV, all of it. Just, it feels like magic because it is like thousands of people, as you're saying, Alex, like working together to create a thing that communicates emotion and energy out into the world. And when it, when it hits, it's, it's really good. <laughs> Uh, Alex Cayeros, what's your lesson that you're taking from Last of Us? Um, I think just ad you know adaptation. This is an adaptation done right, and I think adaptation does right. Being done right looks like understanding the medium you're adapting to. So you know, I think a movie has different requirements than a TV show, than a game, and I think yeah, the Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann understood what makes a good TV show. It's all about character. It's all about just great character conflicts and all the things that the game has to do to keep you engaged, which is like, you know, games do storytelling through gameplay and through combat and through lots of killing people, uh, lots of killing zombies. And there's not a whole lot of infected, you know, fighting in the TV show as there as is correct. Like the TV show should be about character drama with the infected as kind of, pressure on that character drama but not the main event um and i think it's just it just shows great intelligence and restraint that they did the show the way they did because this is a tv show it feels like a tv show my mom and my aunt can watch it as a tv show they don't even think about it as a video game and it doesn't stand out as like oh this is kind of a weird video gamey thing not doesn't even occur to them because it is true to its medium so i think it's a great example of adaptation done right yeah yeah my lesson is very much tied to that where that's just the thing that i was so struck by uh it was just extremely smart decision making clearly happened in, in the making of this and the design of this show and and listening to you speak alex about <clears throat> different moments in the process where you know something was planned as a long take but then the story was better and more impactful when that was changed in post-production or like the bloater was decided to be shot practically, had to be changed to be CGI. All these 
things that I think are demonstrate a willingness to be wrong, quote unquote, if it's uh-huh. better for the final product, if it's creating a generous experience for the audience. It's not about ego or stubborn, like I chose this long time ago and so I'm committing to it. And I think that's really it's like that's like hard. That's rare. And I think it's scary and but like brave to be willing to change your mind and do something that maybe wasn't your first idea because the second idea is better. And I think that's uh, I don't know. I, that's inspiring to me to see people do that. And I think watching the show every single episode, it felt like that was happening on all these different levels. But especially in the adaptation, as you were saying, Alex, the the things that the soul of The Last of Us, the game and the story, the characters, those things were preserved and translated onto screen. And I think it'd be really easy to look at the external trappings where it's like, oh, I got to be shiving clickers constantly or, you know, <laughs> yeah. like all the things that you're throwing got. bricks and bottles. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. All those. I think it'd be really easy and really tempting for many people to be like, oh, and that's what the show should be, obviously. Right. But clearly you didn't craft focus. any health kits the entire series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> but there are no moments. Yeah. There's still those moments where yeah. like it's just the little just hints enough. at it, yeah, yeah, yeah. that I was just <laughs> super blown away by the really smart decision making and execution, top to bottom. So, so many lessons I think that we can take away from the show. Uh, Alex, what about you? What lesson are you going to take away? That's great. I mean, I can't top what you guys have just said. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about this all day because I there's so when a show like The Last of Us, I've been on it for almost two years, uh, a huge portion of my life. Um, and met with so many great people, so many talented people. And, um, and I was just trying to think of what, what's, what is the most important lesson that I've learned, uh, in the show. And, and I couldn't pick one, but I would say I, I almost just sort of backed up a little bit and I said, well, what led me to this? And that's taking a risk. I had a job at ILM for five years. Let, let's Probably. hold on. You had a job at ILM. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. As a, visual a studio called ILM. Yeah. As, a, as a visual effects supervisor, I was happy. Uh, I was comfortable. I was, I had no reason to do anything else. And, you know, and uh, I loved the people I worked with there. But here comes to sometimes in life, things just opportunities just drop on your lap and you're at those crossroads and you go left or right and it's up to you to take that risk and go right and I went with my gut obviously I talked to my fiance now wife because (laughs) it was in the basically we got married right in the middle of production like at the end of the shoot I had to jump off get married and come back to do post (laughs) so we knew it was going to be tricky we made it work Thank you, Amy. Uh, but, but she, but you, you know, I think for me, the most important lesson was just going with your gut. The risk is worth it. Do it. Cause I, this is the most amazing experience that I've um, ever had in my life and the hardest. It wasn't all. It was it was not easy by any means. <laughs> it was it was very hard uh, physically, both mentally and physically. 
Um, but so rewarding at the end of the day. Like I would, I couldn't, I don't know what my life would be like if I had chosen no. So that's my lesson. That's cool. yeah. Good that's lesson. a great lesson. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so really quick, why don't we go around and say what we've been watching recently, what we might recommend to our listeners. Uh, Alex Cajeros, do you want to start us off? Sure. So on the topic of uh, shows that create a believable world that I can buy into, I've been really pleasantly surprised by Silo on Apple TV Plus mm. uh, starring Rebecca mm. Ferguson. Um, I saw the trailers for it and I was like, oh, man, I want I want I want more sci fi shows. I love Rebecca Ferguson. But is this going to be another one of those shows? It's kind of like a lame world that doesn't really quite commit and doesn't quite do it right. Um, it's it's about a post apocalyptic scenario question mark in which a whole community is basically living in a gigantic, uh, you know, 200 level missile silo for you know over maybe 200 years or something. They don't know what happened to the world. They don't know what's going on outside, but they just know it's toxic and you can't leave. Um, this was a cool premise and uh, I wanted to like it. And I started watching it bracing for the worst because I've been so let down by so many sci-fi shows and I really like it I really love Rebecca Ferguson it's really fun and like really well done it's a great mystery box story that's actually like revealing enough each episode to not be frustrating so go silo I'm really I'm really pleased I'm really enjoying it thanks as long as it's not the best sci-fi thing she's in this year (laughs) yeah no No pressure (laughs) part two also Uh, looking forward to that a lot yeah That's awesome. That's good to hear. I was, I was curious, so I'm, I'm happy to hear that it's good. I saw. Yeah, it's good to know. Yeah, yeah. I might I'm, watch I'm, it. Now. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I'm yeah. enjoying it. <laughs> awesome. it's, it's no Last of Us, but it's great. Sure, <laughs> sure. It's a high bar. Yeah, Brian, what have you been watching recently? Uh, well, on the subject of filming on location and you know making a world that is fully immersive, uh, I f- saw for the first time ever the Bridge on the River Kwai. Uh, the David Lean film from 1957, which is a big blind spot for me. And this war movie about British POWs in a Japanese prison camp in Thailand uh, who are tasked with building a bridge and the bridge becomes a big you know, part of the finale of the movie and sort of like a big thematic thing, conversation going on. Um, it's got Alec Guinness and our buddy from Sunset Boulevard, William Holden, and they're both incredible. But you know, thinking about it in the context of this conversation, It's filmed on location, not in Thailand, but in Sri Lanka. And I mean, you can just feel it so completely. There's so many beautiful shots where there's two characters talking in the foreground as we're talking about like all the main thing is their conversation. That's what you're focused on. But then you look in the the mid ground and there are 200 extras like toiling away at some task. And then in the background are just rolling hills because they're really shooting on location. And then the sound design, there's just always crickets and water and just these, these very, you know, tangible things. And it's just like, it just feels like you're there and how cool that we can obviously in 57, it's just, if it was, they, they had to build the bridge, they had to build everything. Right. And, And they had to go on location. And now we have something like last of us where it's just like such a cool hybrid of those things. Right. Where it's like, yeah, we are going to Calgary. We are going to film. We are going to get all these beautiful landscapes, but 
we can then fill that in. We can add things. We can do whatever is necessary to our world that we would not have the time, the, the resources to actually put in otherwise. I'm sure we would love to go build two giant buildings, one of which is falling on top of the other. You can't do that, right? So you either don't have it or you, you know, you add it, um, it with set extensions. And I just think it's it's really interesting to to be thinking about these two things back to back with 70 years between the two of them and just see like, oh, yeah, we're still doing the same thing. We're just doing it with what we have available to us now. You know, I just think it's really neat. Yeah. And nice. I love that. We can be doing that for TV shows also. Of course. Right? Yeah, TV yeah. shows yeah. are at a level and visual effects are at a, at a place where that is something that is conceivable so we can get the huge emotional investment and impact that comes from this kind of longer form storytelling. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. great. It's a great time. So you, to, so you have to do a nine hour movie instead of just a two hour movie. <laughs> yeah. Three, what it felt like. No 3,000 shots, you said? 3,000. No problem, yeah. right? Yeah. That's yeah. what it felt like. Yeah. <laughs> Um, really quick, I so I uh, listeners of the show will know I have struggled at times with animation and animated shows, um, but I was pressured um, heavily by my wife to watch Avatar: The Last Airbender, uh, which I had never seen before. It took me a little bit to get into it because I was like, again, this the frames per second. It's not twenty four. I'm not used to this, uh, but I got so sucked in and it it really is as good as everyone says it is. And I know I'm extremely late to this party, but it has a, as a, a show that evolves, you know, it starts off, it feels maybe a little bit like kids show E, but as it picks up and as the arc of the narrative really sharpens, I would put it up there with, you know, all the star Wars is and the Lord of the Rings, like in terms of epic uh, wow. heroes journey storytelling, where by the end I'm at the, edge of my seat and emotional by everything that's happening i was not expecting to be able to be affected that much by the show and it earns it and it's great so man for well, some I, reason I, you're I, gotta pulling get, out. I gotta get past those first few episodes because i i think i got it i got it like two three in i was just like everybody says it's the best thing ever i don't know man it take it takes okay. a little bit it starts okay. off a bit more episodic and then it yeah. becomes a little bit more okay. serial arc and you know we we watched it like on the weekends, like Saturday mornings. And so that kind of helped me get in the mindset of oh, it's Saturday morning cartoons and that yeah, pushed through some of it. And then, yeah. yeah. And then at some point I was just sucked in and I was like, no, we have to keep watching because this is so good. Can I just yeah. watch the movie though, just to save some time? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's fine. It's fine. It's the same, right? Yeah. 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 Um, Alex, what about you? What have you been watching recently? Um, I, you know, because I'm involved with so much visual effects stuff. The shows that I watch, the films that I watch, um, tend to not have any visual effects. Uh, and maybe that's why, that's one of the reasons why I, am myself and a fan of what Craig and Neil have done with The Last of Us is so character driven. The last show that my wife and I really enjoyed was, is a, is a show called Shrinking on Apple Plus. Oh yeah. With Jason Siegel and, mm-hmm. um, Harrison Ford's in it. And it's just, it's a pretty simple premise. They're psychologists and it's just a relationships that they develop with their clients. Um, They're not perfect, even though they're supposed to be telling people how to feel and to a certain degree help them, but they need help themselves. So it's just this complexity of characters and Harrison Ford is amazing. (laughs) 
Like he's just, this, hmm. he's like the grumpiest uh, <laughs> psychologist. And, uh, and it's just really heartwarming. Like Apple with Ted Lasso and everything, it's got kind of those vibes of feel good. Um, and I, there are a tough couple of, I don't generally cry with, I don't generally cry at all, but I don't generally cry with TV shows or movies, except for, unless it's like Saving Private Ryan or something like that. But, uh, you know, I was, I got teary eyed on a few times just cause it's just so heartwarming. And, uh, I think the story is very, um, you could see it happening in real life. So anyways, I think shrinking, if you get, if you haven't seen it, um, definitely catching on. I think it's out on Apple plus. Yeah. It's on my list. Yeah. I want to check it out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. Awesome. Okay. Well, this has been our conversation about The Last of Us. We want to say a big thank you, as always, to our patrons that support the show and make it happen. Uh, thank you to our producer, Vince Major, and our editors, Donovan Bullum, Caleb Berg, Graham Harther, and Eric Schneider. I'm Michael Tucker. I've been joined today by Brian Bittner, Alex Cayeros, and of course, a very special thank you to Alex Wong, who you can find on Twitter at AlexWong underscore VFX. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. This was really, really fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is, this is great, guys. Let's awesome. do it again at some point. Yeah. Season two, maybe. Season two. Season two. <laughs> yeah. Whenever we get it. Uh, awesome. All right. Well, we will see you then. Thank you, right. listeners. And we will see you, listeners, in the next episode. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.